Seltzer Kings Podcasts. Hey, are you into werewolves, mad sciences, and a little bit of witchcraft? Then stay tuned for an all-new episode of Watch Corner. We're riding this train straight into the sun. Woo! Tune in to a classic episode of Watts Corner on the Seltzer Kings Network. Available on all podcast platforms. I mean, when are we ever going to have a three-year anniversary again? I give this show maybe six months. Let's do this thing. Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. I love you so badly. I could... They're solid plastic, so don't settle for imitation. But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Baby, if you've ever wondered, wondered whatever became of me, I'm living on the air in Cincinnati, Cincinnati WKRP. Got kind of tired of packing and unpacking. The following podcast contains... Your use of language has altered since our arrival. It is currently laced with, shall I say, more colorful metaphors. Double dumbass on you, and so forth. You mean the profanity? Yes. That's simply the way they talk here. Nobody pays any attention to you unless you swear every other word. Explicit language. Hello and welcome to the podcast that asks a simple question. When you just had to squeeze one more 80s pop culture reference out, what the hell were you thinking? I'm your host Dave Bledsoe and this is a Friday, March 2nd, 2018, holding back the year's special three-year anniversary edition, celebrating all these years of one low-rated podcast. Stay tuned. The What the Hell Were You Thinking podcast is proud to welcome returning sponsor 1983, the year your childhood died. 1983, we killed everything good and decent in the world. We showed the last episode of MASH. We made Phil Collins release Hello, I Must Be Going. Our Cabbage Patch Kids taught you that Santa Claus might be a magical being, but even he can't get you a Cabbage Patch Kid for Christmas. And George Lucas dropped Muppets in your Star Wars. 1983, we gave you Nintendo and took everything you love in exchange. If you would like to sponsor the show, why don't you go ask George Lucas to just go ahead and kick you in the crotch, because that's exactly what 1983 feels like. Oh, hi. I'm two-time Saturn Award nominee Kevin Bacon, and I would like to talk to you about 80s awareness. Awareness of 80s culture and technology has been in a significant decline, especially amongst a certain demographic. I'm talking to you, millennials. All you guys born after 1985 have no idea how hard life was. If I was too shy to ask a girl out, there was no okay twinder. I went to the white pages, Google it, and called her house. And then you had to make small talk with her mom for like 20 minutes before Alicia even came to the phone. And let me tell you, when she turns down your invitation to Sparrows, you can't just swipe away the hurt. You want to know my favorite app? Rubik's Cube. 
I saw you tweet an article about Russia. You think Russia's a threat now? Let me tell you about a little thing called the Cold War. They had nukes pointed at us for 20 years. You couldn't even skateboard to a blockbuster without getting nuked. My friend Tommy went out to rent a copy of Gremlins and never came back. You know why? Nuked. At least that's what my parents told me. Hey, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. What, you, you guys can't pay attention for more than two minutes? Oh, get it, I've had it. Somebody take this mic, please. You people will never know the comfort of parachute pants. Technically, this anniversary episode of this podcast is about, uh, it's about five weeks early. The earliest recorded episode of a drunk guy in a shitty basement studio rambling into a microphone occurred in the first week of April 2015, not March. Still, the intervening wonkiness with episodes being put out brought us to an auspicious milestone of the 150th episode, and it was close enough to the actual anniversary that we all felt comfortable enough to just say, eh, fuck it. It's good enough for, I don't know, this show at least. Just like he always does. Symmetry is important. And the symmetry of three years and 150 episodes says something about this show and the people who create this show. You're lazy and you're stupid. That pretty much sums it up. So much has changed in the world over the past three years. I mean, why, when this show started, I was just one dude with a microphone and a dream. And I was recording out of a roach-infested, mold-ridden basement with a porn-addicted creepy fucker working in the office next door. What up, Steve? And we were hoping each day just to make the bills. Three years later, here we are, the flagship show was... What is objectively the worst podcast network in the world, with our studio now located in the spare bedroom of Fast Eddie's trailer, located in beautiful downtown Howard Beach, Queens, on Fast Eddie's reliable used cars. Our very own producer, Gavin, works all week long to make sure that you're listening to the finest on-demand audio product that you can download for free. But you get what you pay for, huh? Yeah. Why, when this podcast first debuted, Hillary Clinton was only just announcing she was running for office, and the current national nightmare was just a shitty reality show star and Twitter pundit. Okay, that actually hasn't changed that much. Uptown Funk hadn't been sued even once. It was just a song that was on the radio on the time that sounded a lot like a whole bunch of other songs. And Game of Thrones only had the one incestuous couple. Such sweet innocence. And your humble host was still grinding away working at a veterinary clinic for a pathological asshole. <laughs> oh, those were the days. But now I work at a place where barely anyone knows my name or what I do, but they pay me rather a lot of money, so there's my job satisfaction. And when you do a podcast like this one for as long as we've done it, you start to wonder about where you are as a creative endeavor. How is the show that you are making doing? Not great. We're at a milestone. And I don't even really have a topic for the show. I'm just throwing shit at the wall to see what sticks. <laughs> just like I always do. I didn't want to do a current events show today because, uh, you know, the topics of this week have just been insane, even by Trump-adjusted standards. I was going to do the whole porn show I'd planned a few weeks back, but uh, every time I went to go do research for the script, I uh, I got uh, d distracted. 
I don't need any details. Suffice it to say, uh, we're not going to be doing the porn show. So I, I decided to do what everyone does when they're in the pinch for something to talk about. You go back to the 80s. Because there's a movie coming out in a couple of weeks that makes my 80s nostalgia seem like a, I don't know, a, like how I feel about 2007? I barely remember it. The movie is titled Ready Player One and it's based on a 2012 book by the same name. And I recently read the book and wow, all I can say is that uh, someone really needs to get a life. Is it you? It is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's me, but that's not what I was talking about. Because you see, the book Ready Player One is, uh, well, it's, uh, it's not very good. In fact, I think that how I would best describe it is... A real piece of shit. I, I, you know, I could do a long rant about the book, but instead, let me quote for you from Geek.com's Jordan Minor. Quote, the empty nostalgia, the worship of hashtag brands, the hyper-consumerism, the continued 80s vice grip on culture, cyclical Funko Pop masturbatory references without meaning, all shameless, shallow, pandering Easter eggs and no basket, the unearned persecution complex for straight white young men, combined with pointless pop culture knowledge as a form of gatekeeping, it's all there and is all terrible. Damn, that is harsher than anything I could have said, which is why I said it. And you know what? Maybe Minor was being nice because the book is a shallow, bitter, masturbatory fantasy that does little more than provide a basic hero's journey as a pretext for the author to demonstrate his autistic knowledge of all things 80s. He spends pages and pages reciting litany of statistics, name-dropping classic arcade designers, and spewing 80s movies, music, and television trivia like the product of carnal liaison between an Excel spreadsheet and a mid-1990s edition of Trivial Pursuit. I'm sorry, the card says moot. The book is so bad that even Will Wheaton's voice acting could not save it from being a pedantic slog down memory lane for a subset of 40-somethings who spent their formative years in dark rooms pretending to be strong, brave, and able to cast a fucking fireball spell. And don't get me wrong, I'm 100% in that subset of people. You can say that again. And let me tell you, the author Ernest Cline did something I've never done, which is write and sell a novel. Let's not talk about the piles of novels underneath my bed that no one will ever read or see because they're terrible. And not to mention, he sold a novel that the very next day after it was purchased by the publisher, the movie rights were sold for a fucking like a gajillion dollars. There ain't nobody beating down the door of Fast Eddie's trailer looking to throw some money at me to write so Ernest Cline can legitimately look at me and say, how's your novel going there, tough guy? Dickish. Yeah, some dickish. But none of that changes that the book is bad and he should feel bad. And the movie? I mean, Steven fucking Spielberg is directing it, so how bad can it be? I mean, the trailers all hint at a giant visual FX blockbuster that has, at best, a nodding acquaintance with the source material. Nerd rage! Oh, yeah. Because I've seen the trailers. Spielberg took out all the shit that made nerds love that shitty, shitty book. Matthew Lofkin of Observe.com notes, quote, The internet has pretty much already made up his mind about Ready Player One. This movie, by all accounts, is a shallow, cynical attempt to co-opt the online meme and reference culture to try and win street cred without the effort of making a genuine story. And if there's one thing nerds hate, it's being pandered to. Hey, if you really want to have fun, go up to someone who considers themselves like a, a hardcore nerd and whisper in their ear, Big Bang Theory. 
Awful pandering crap! Jeez, ah! Spielberg's attempt to bring this literary turd to the screen required taking out almost all the things that made the book the book and condensed them into a winking Easter egg. Acknowledgement. Because you ain't gonna get to use all that intellectual property for free like Klein got away with in the book. It was stolen. All of it. Or you could do as Alex Nichols said in Outline, quote, a fantasy this mundane is barely a fantasy at all. Just the desire to be unjustly rewarded for mediocrity. And thanks to Steven Spielberg, Klein's mediocrity has been rewarded beyond his wildest dreams. He found the fucking golden egg. <laughs> I hate my life. I could see how one would think that I would love this nascent 80s renaissance because it is literally my childhood. Reading Ready Player One was like walking into the basement rumpus room of my youth and finding all the books and toys and games I owned right there for me to play with again. What do we have here? It's Castle Grayskull. And it's mine. Not so fast, Beastman. More and more, what looks like an homage is just an out-and-out -out looting. You know, the Duffer brothers managed to take the 80s and bring them to the screens of Stranger, Th Stranger Things in two seasons, and they were replete with winks to the things that we loved about the decade, but they also opened the door for every two-bit hack with access to Wikipedia to come along and jump on the members-only bandwagon. And you know something? A lot of the 80s sucked balls. I mean, if you were white middle-class, male, and straight, the 80s kicked ass. But if you were none of the above, the 80s were... It's a filthy goddamn horror show. You want to get nostalgic? Let's do this shit. You'll notice if you read Ready Player One, and I'm quite sure it is never addressed in the Spielberg movie, that an entire generation of gay men died in the 80s and 90s while our government did jack and shit about it. In fact... The most that they did was work really, really hard to pretend that they didn't exist in the first place, and if somehow they did accidentally just out on the margins of society, that they weren't fucking dying of a disease. And then, and then, when the government finally acknowledged that this disease was killing people, it certainly had never acknowledged that the people that it was primarily killing were in any way not white Christian, middle-class, heterosexual, man-on-top-fucking-woman, normal. In high school, Mark never worried about getting dates. He just did. He never worried about making school teams. He just did. He never worried about getting good grades. He just did. And he never worried about getting AIDS. He just did. I guess that was hard to fit into the fucking litany of classic D&D novels that Klein was just rattling off. And yeah, you know what? Ready Player One makes some nods to contemporary mores about race and sexuality. But in the 80s, we sure as fuck didn't mention that shit. In fact, most of our beloved 80s movies are replete with characters that if we were to put them in a movie today, we would literally be relying out of Hollywood on a pole. Does anyone remember this guy? Hey, Howard, there's your Chinaman. Oh, thanks, Fred. Hi, Don. Oh, no more Yankee, my wanky. The donga need food. 80 star C. Thomas Howell literally did an entire movie in blackface. And in that movie, where he's in blackface, 
he stole a black scholarship to go to fucking Harvard. Mark Watson has seen the future. Harvard, there is no substitute. And he can't afford it. Full tuition from the most qualified applicant, most qualified black applicant. But he's going to law school yeah! anyway. Congratulations. Thank you, sir. By breaking every law in the book. You're crazy. What's happening, brother? You may shut up now. Thank you, sir. Soul Man. These are the 80s, man. It's the Cosby decade. Rated PG-13. Starts Friday, October 24th. And honest to God, the people that made that movie sincerely thought that they were being hashtag woke. Funny how Ready Player One that skips right past the whole satanic panic, too. I mean, just it was like one of the most important things that happened in all of the 80s, and it impacted nerds because all of a sudden our little game where we killed orcs suddenly became a vessel to the devil. Hail Satan. It is done. That cute little poem sent people to fucking jail because some dipshit brainwashed a kid into saying they were part of a satanic pedophilic murder sex ring and people were actually convicted of something called recovered memories of shit that never happened. Somebody tried to kill the president in the 80s? Not hard enough. The space shuttle blew up for the first time. The Navy shot down passenger liners. The Russians shot down passenger liners. An oil tanker crashed into Alaska and created what was then, we would top it later, the greatest environmental disaster of all time. Reagan threatened to blow up the world and then sank the country into its eyeballs in debt to make blowing up the world possible. DuPont poisoned a few thousand people in Bhopal, India. South Africa reached the apex of apartheid. And the U.S. was just fine with that and all of this was happening under the threat of nuclear war shit the fucking 80s were terrible and i mean i haven't even mentioned we are the world and the famine in africa and you know what is the worst about that is that fucking song was awful and i don't care if it helped i never wanted to hear it then and i never want to hear it again but it's right there in my head right now because i said the words we are the world None of this is a surprise to those of us who lived through the 80s. Jesus, the video for Genesis Land to Confuse It is fucking vicious. Bruce Springsteen writes a songs about how things bad are, how bad things are, and fucking Reagan uses the song, which actually attacks Reagan. He used it on the campaign trail. You really don't get it, do you? You don't understand these people. The boomers were crazy on cocaine and junk bonds. The entire decade was a giant-haired, shiny-suited commercial for the base avarice. And people look back on it and think, boy, I sure wish we could do that again. Motherfuckers, we did it between 2001 and 2007. Do anyone remember the consequences of that? Oh, God damn. The 80s codified the cultural rift that gave us the things that we so enjoy these days. Call it guns, abortion, money and politics, and the rise of Rush Limbaugh. Let's not forget that white supremacists who were setting up shop more in the more out-of-the-way places would come back to haunt us in the 90s. You think Ruby Ridge and Waco just happened because Bill Clinton was elected? That shit was brewing all through the 80s, and weirdos and gun nuts got slowly tacit permission to get weirder and nuttier. The crime. Crime was insane in the 80s. Bernie Getz. The birth of crack. The high point of the crime wave that built through the 70s finally crashed in the 80s. Jeffrey Dahmer was eating people and drilling skulls and skulls to try and make sex zombies. The Atlanta child murderers. And we cannot forget the birth of modern mass shootings happened in the 80s. Police say this is 
one-day massacre in the history of the U.S. The McDonald's restaurant in San Isidro, a suburb of San Diego, is now a temporary morgue. Coroner's officials are trying to identify the 20 confirmed dead. The gunman has been identified as 41-year-old James Hardy of San Isidro, an unemployed security guard. The 80s were the big warm incubator for all the unhappiness that is 2018. Yet here we are, venerating like the boomers do the 1950s. Oh, I get it. Oh, shit. I see it now. Back in the 70s, there was this wave of nostalgia for the 50s from the boomers who brought it back in all its whitewashed glory, the sock hop, early rock music, and churned that shit out into pop culture, ignoring the fact that the 50s was the fucking worst moment. The 40s and 50s were the worst moments in the civil rights era, and that literally they were trying to push back black people back into slavery. They did this because they were starting to get older, creeping into middle age, and they got lonely for the innocence of their youth. Innocence, right, you know, when black people and women were you know, there to be property. Ready Player One and its ilk are the fucking happy days and shanana of Generation X. You know, everything old can be made new again. What's funny is how somehow we even managed to incorporate the pathetic nostalgia of the boomers and the greatest generation into our pathetic nostalgia. God, Generation X is so fucked up. It's time to face facts, kids. Gen X is getting old and we're starting to look back and get all misty about our childhoods. I mean, what the fuck is this is us but 30-something for Gen Xers? I mean, people were getting mad at crockpots over that dumb show. I ain't seen white people that mad since the last episode of St. Elsewhere. The truth is, nostalgia is not going anywhere, and it's just part of growing up and growing old. And the 80s was so artificial, so commercial, so generic as a decade that it begs to be regurgitated over and over again. I mean, this was the decade that created corporate rocks. I love Sticks as much as the next 80s guy, but this song was literally created in a Kodak lab in Rochester. I indulge in the pleasures of recycled childhood as much as the egg, the next aging white guy. Do you think the bookshelf full of classic pen and paper role-playing games just appeared there by accident? The all-new role-playing games of TSR and Dungeons and Dragons unleash the power of your imagination. And it's easy to turn to the hackneyed reruns of youth when you're bereft of inspiration because you know you can do it without thinking too much and chances are the ratings will be good. It worked for Ernest Cline and Steven Spielberg, and by God, it's working for the third anniversary in the 150th episode of this here low-rated podcast. But seriously, Ready Player One is a shitty book. Don't read it. I don't know about the movie, but I suspect it's going to be a shitty movie, so don't watch it. And trust me, I know these things. I've been reading shitty sci-fi since before most of you were born. Ugh, you people should have seen the first iteration of Battlestar Galactica. Fucking boxy. Gee, it was Cousin Oliver. Cousin Oliver on the fucking Battlestar Galactica. That is it for our show this week. 150 episodes in the can. Three years of podcasting. Fuck me. Who knew that this dumb show was going to last so long? I tell you what, Gavin and I are getting loaded tonight and playing D&D until one of us passes out. And it's going to be me because Gavin has hopped up on caffeine from all that Mountain Dew he drinks. I'm still fireballing your ass, Gavin. Get used to it. You're dying tonight. 
Speaking of being hopped up on goofballs, rate and review this show wherever you find your podcast so that others can get shook on the sheer high that comes with the ending of the show when they know they won't have to hear my voice anymore. If for some reason you need to know more about my wit, follow the show on Twitter at the Hell underscore podcast or the show name on Facebook. For me, host Dave He-Man Bledsoe, producer Skeletor Gavin, and all the other fictional battle cats on this show, we want to say 100 people surveyed, top five answers on the board, name the most 80s song ever. This probably isn't it, but it did fit with the show theme this week. We'll see you all next week. When somebody hears, listen to the fear that's gone. Strangled by the wishes of Peter, hoping for the arms of Major. Get to me. Seltzer Kings. Podcasts.